One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Welcome to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso in again for Brownie today. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on at the Super Bowl, what's going on at the coaching hires around the league. We've got a, a Twitter question for you. We've got uh, lots of stuff going on, plus your calls. Uh, we'll talk about just about anything you want to do. Uh, talk about calling in here, as long as it's about the NFL and the Bills and stuff. I don't want to. Yeah. Just don't want to get out of my lane. So, <laughs> uh, Chris, good good to have you in again. Um, so far, good week, right? Yeah, it's been fun. It's been yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, we've been a lot of stuff going on with the coaching's hirings and stuff. We've been talking about the Chargers, the Seahawks yesterday. The Chargers are getting started on their stuff. They finally hired a couple of coordinators. The Bills, it's been reported are starting to fill one of the vacancies that happened to them when um, Eric Washington got called by the Chicago Bears to be their uh, defensive coordinator, uh, taking him as the defensive line coach away from the Bills. Now the Bills uh, are filling another vacancy in their uh, coaching ranks. On the offensive side, it looks like it's been reported that they're working to hire Ron Curry as the quarterback coach slash maybe uh, the uh, passing game coordinator. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't know who Ron Curry is, he's a former University of North Carolina quarterback, got drafted in the seventh round by the Raiders. He's been in New Orleans coaching their wide receivers, quarterbacks, and been their passing game coordinator for the last uh, seven seasons. He was under Sean Payton. He's been under Dennis Allen. Uh, he's also worked in the past with uh, Jim Harbaugh as well. So uh, Ron Curry is – reportedly being uh, talked to and wooed as the quarterbacks slash passing game coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. And there's one other big connection here that he worked with Joe Brady in New Orleans there with Sean Payton 2017-2018. So that's probably the familiarity that Joe Brady wanted. Um, And so you're getting two people in very – important roles on this Bills coaching staff, offensive coordinator with Joe Brady and reportedly quarterback coach with uh, Ronald Curry, who have their roots in the Sean Payton spread, throw the football, Drew Brees era New Orleans Saints that, of course, very effective, highly prolific offenses. There so when we get Ron, Ron Curry in front of the media, but over in the media room on the other side of the building, so Ron, were you excited to work with Joe Brady again or is it really Josh? <laughs> yeah, really. Man, right? I mean, that's... Uh, you've got to think that uh, having Josh Allen put together a, a great season with you under his, you know, there has got to be. Joe Brady will get a you know head coaching opportunity out of it, and and of course Ron Curry would move up as well. I mean that's uh, the way Josh plays, the things that he does has got to be enticing for coaches to come in and, and work with him. And as a former NFL player, Ronald Curry has connections. Like you oh, said, yeah. Jim Harbaugh, he, he could have probably gotten other jobs if he did indeed want to leave the Saints, but that's probably not many more jobs that are more enticing than being able to be the quarterback coach for Josh Allen. You can just look at what happened with Joe Brady, how quickly of a rise he had. And I think you're totally right, Steve, that if the Bills offense clicks like it did in those last six games of the season and into the playoffs – under Joe Brady with Josh Allen and all of his collection of talent, Joe Brady is going to be getting a lot of head coaching interviews and will probably get hired away from Buffalo. So it's a great springboard for a coach like Ronald Curry, who's kind of seen the quarterbacks after Drew Brees in New Orleans, not quite as good. With Josh Allen, he will get an elite quarterback to be able to work with in that quarterback. And it's group. interesting, too, because uh, he if he got released by the Saints because they're, they're making changes and um, – 
do they have? Are they sticking with Dennis? They are not sticking with Dennis Allen. I think they are. Yeah. Are they? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And they they brought in a new offensive coordinator who wanted to bring in his own guys, and I can't remember the guy's name. I'm gonna. Go, I'll find it for you in a second. The uh, the, um, the former offensive coordinator Pete Carmichael was with Sean Payton right. forever. He left to that's go to right. Denver. He was like a lifer with the Saints. Was always the guy that was the offensive coordinator. Never called the plays with the Saints but had that connection to Sean Payton. And a lot of people thought when he first got the job in Denver, Sean Payton that is, that Pete Carmichael would immediately follow him. Well, he was with the Saints this past year, um, and now he's in Denver. So they did have to hire a new offensive coordinator. And I'm sure Ronald Curry was in consideration, but maybe this was a situation, and, and, and maybe this information will come out over the next couple of days or when this is an official hire, if it is. Ronald Curry may have said, hey, look, like I'm ready for a new chapter. I've been here, like you said, for seven years. And, oh, by the way, I have my buddy Joe Brady is up in Buffalo with Josh Allen. Like we're saying, that is a very enticing job and a, a quarterback to ultimately coach as a quarterback's coach. Right. Pete Carmichael left, and, and it looked like you know Ron, Ron Curry was not going to get the coordinator's job. Uh, remember Doug, former Bills head coach Doug Marone was on that staff mm-hmm. as well. He got fired as well with the changes. Uh, they are, you know, they're shaking things up in New Orleans, and it didn't take long uh, when Ron Curry was found out he was not going to be on part of the offensive staff that he landed on his feet here in Buffalo. Um, it's going to be uh, interesting to see. But I, I'm, I've said this before: quarterback coach is is the liaison between the offensive coordinator and the quarterback, and. That isn't always – there's a lot to sort through in that mm-hmm. relationship because the, the offensive coordinator has got to come up with stuff. And the coordinators, what happens invariably and, – and fans never, never take this into account because a lot of times they don't know. But the offensive coordinator may be the most creative, unbelievable dude you've ever seen. He may come up with schemes and formations and personnel groupings and, and shifts and motions – and route patterns and concepts. He might he might be the most he might be the Salvador Dali of the <laughs> NFL coaching scene, right? Yeah. But when he brings this stuff to the quarterback, it's got to make sense. The quarterback will say, "I don't like that. I don't like mm. that. I don't like that." And it's got to get thrown, and they throw it out. So that so for that reason, the quarterback coordinator roles are sometimes not copacetic mm-hmm. right i mean there's some friction there and they start to like get frustrated with each other and for obvious reasons quarterback says give me some stuff i like give me this that i like give me more of this and the coordinator says listen we need to do this because this you know that because of this and this and this and they start to and the quarterback coach is the is the grease between those gears mm-hmm. that keeps it turning and and uh Ron Curry's going to be doing that for Josh Allen and Joe Brady. And that's why I think it's so important that Joe Brady gets someone who he's familiar with. They come from the same kind of coaching tree system. Um, right when Joe Brady got hired, we heard from Josh Allen saying that what a lot of what Steve just pointed out, that how important the delivering the message from the offensive coordinator down to the quarterback, how important that was during game planning during the week, certainly in-game as well. Um, so to have someone, and we talked about this yesterday, that we are going to see the Joe Brady offense, what he like his stamp on what he wants to do. It's not, again, just running Ken Dorsey's offense with some wrinkles. Now he gets another extension of what he wants to do with Ronald Curry. Certainly knows that Saints spread, LSU, whatever you want to call it. But 
to have someone that he's familiar with, that has been there, that they have roots in the same system. A lot of what Steve pointed at, I think the Bills try to stay away from, hey, we have one guy and then we have someone who has never coached with, say, offensive coordinator or that quarterback's coach. To get those two in lockstep together is very important, kind of behind the scenes for Josh Allen. Yeah, and this and more stuff about the Saints and how that happened over there. Pete Carmichael was with the Saints for 15 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it's a long it's time. A long coach, time. Yeah. And then, uh, so not only are they getting rid of Pete Carmichael, uh, they also got uh, – they let uh, Bob McNeil go, who's a senior offensive assistant and wide receivers coach, Cody Burns. He was also let go as well. So, you know, they're, the Saints are trying to get it back on track offensively, and they're shaking out the whole room. And, and Ron Curry uh, was out of work uh, for five minutes. Uh, he's now with the Buff- going to be with the Buffalo Bills. At least that's what it looks like at this point. One quick note. It's kind of a fun nugget on Ronald Curry. He is a high school – basketball and football legend in the Hampton, Virginia area. And the only reason I know this, I remember watching, I don't know if it was on NFL Films or NFL Network, that area has produced like Allen Iverson, Michael Vick, Tyrod Taylor, and Plaxico Burris, D'Angelo Hall. Actually, Bruce Smith is from that area too. But in the mid to late 90s, I'm watching this thing, and it's just a quick little like 60-minute documentary on how much talent has come from that area. They're interviewing Allen Iverson, Plexico Burris, Michael Vick, and they're all obviously great players. At the end, they all unanimously said Ronald Curry was the best (laughs) of that bunch. Played quarterback at North Carolina, won the All-American dunk contest that season, or, or going into college at North Carolina, and then was pretty good for a little bit with the Oakland Raiders, a little bit after their prime, after they made those Super Bowl or that Super Bowl with Rich Gannon. So someone that certainly understands what it takes to be a high-level athlete at multiple positions. Ronald Curry, just kind of a, a, a fun nugget that the Bills have a highly yeah. athletic, highly coveted high school guy. I was, uh, I was watching a little clip that Mike Vick, somebody asked him about you know him coming up through the ranks and stuff, and he, and he had like a 30-second spurf about – Ron Curry said the guy was unbelievable and I got a chance to meet him and he said not only is he great coach great player and all that he was an outstanding guy Mm. just a a heck of a guy culture guy for sure uh, so uh, that's the kind of guy we're getting here in Buffalo. Has been in the NFL since he was drafted in the seventh round by the the um, Oakland Raiders and so. we're looking forward to meeting him if that is indeed the case. We didn't. We don't get that. We we get this off of Twitter like everybody else. So it's been reported. These we haven't seen Nothing him. We officially, there's yet. no coaches in the room. They're all down. Some they're in Vegas or at the Senior Bowl or whatever. They're taking some time off. The scouts are in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we'll see how uh, that transpires and whether we get a chance to talk to him uh, if is in, if it is indeed. The fact that he's going to be a coach, I think it will probably will be. Uh, also in the AFC East, another coaching hire. The Dolphins are hiring recently fired Packers defensive coordinator Joe Barry. He got let go by the Packers right at the end of the season. He's going to go to Miami and coach the linebackers for the new defensive coordinator the Miami Dolphins hired, Anthony Weaver. Now, Weaver is the new – he took over for Fangio. This is unbelievable. You start talking about this <laughs> – so many coaches are switched. So Fangio was in Miami. We knew that. We played against him. It was great. Has, has some good success. Weaver um, is one of the many Baltimore Ravens assistant coaches to be stolen away. They had a great season defensively. Obviously, they were number one seed in the AFC with Lamar and that whole gang. John 
John Harbaugh still getting it done over there. Mm-hmm. Mike McDonald, their defensive coordinator, got stolen away by Seattle as their head coach. Anthony Weaver, of course, now is moving down to defensive coordinator in Miami. And Denard Wilson, who is also a member of that staff, coach, I think, linebackers, uh, I don't know if I got that right or not, but he's going now he's the defensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. Got the Ravens just got poached. absolutely ransacked yeah. on the defensive side of their coaching tree this this last offseason. And that's what we were talking about at the end of the show yesterday, that just saying, hey, let's run it back and let's just be the same team we were again. If we just keep everyone, retain – especially – I mean, I think we were mostly talking about players in that regard. But with the Ravens, look at how many coaches were poached from a really, really good staff that John Harbaugh had assembled. So it, it's, again, just another testament to how difficult it is to just say, let's run it back in the NFL because right. that's going to happen when you have success. All right. Also, we, we talked the end of the show, ended the show yesterday or talked about a lot that the Chargers have not hired anybody. Well, today they have. Um, the Chargers have hired Greg Roman as their offensive coordinator. He was here under Rex Ryan for a minute and was released, and then he went over to Baltimore. He's the guy that was responsible for getting uh, Lamar Jackson, his first MVP as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. He he installed that misdirection power run game over in Baltimore, and then they wanted to throw the ball more, so they fired him and brought in somebody and brought in uh, Todd Munkin. Mm-hmm. So Roman's back in the NFL. Uh, he's going to be with the Chargers. Um, and also they hired Jesse Minter as offensive coordinator. And uh, so, you know, Minter was with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. So that's why he's going out there to, to the – Harbaugh's just bringing him with him from Michigan after their title run. He was the defensive coordinator there, of course. Um, and Roman had worked with Harbaugh before when Harbaugh – all the way back when Harbaugh was at Stanford before he got the San Francisco job. Yeah. So they've known each other for quite some time. Uh, So the Chargers are starting to assemble their staff. And networking, it just kind of shows, like we're talking about Ronald Curry and Joe Brady, how networking, how important it is in the NFL coaching hierarchy that you just mentioned Greg Roman dates all the way back to Stanford. How about the fact that Mike McDonald, two years ago, was the Michigan defensive coordinator and started his career in Baltimore, goes over from from John Harbaugh to Jim Harbaugh, then back to John Harbaugh, springboards himself to that head coaching job. So the Bills bringing in familiar people on the coaching staff. If you're worried, hey, are they just – only hiring people that they know, that is par for the course in the NFL. You yeah. want that familiarity. One of the on things, yeah, staff. familiarity is one thing, but what it comes down to is this also. When they, they say, yeah, it, you, it's not so easy as just to say, hey, you know the guy? Yeah, I know him. Good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah, okay. All right, I'm going to hire him. <laughs> it's not like that. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> is, he good, is he a good coach? Yeah, he's a good coach. Well, what, what do you mean? He's, well, okay, here's the thing. When we were talking about, this to Josh Allen. We were doing that. Well, here's he got Josh to see things the right way, and kind of he, he communicated with Josh. And if, if he hadn't done what he did with Josh, we wouldn't have been able to run this entire concept in our playbook because Josh didn't like it mm-hmm. up until the time this coach got a whole you know, that kind of thing. They'll give some specific examples of why this guy is a good coach and what he has done to help their team. So it's not just so much as I know him. I know him. He's okay. Hire him. Um, you got to bring some. You got to bring some credentials and some production to the table. And I think the philosophies have to kind of mesh. 
And that's right. why you don't see, like you're just mentioning, a, a new head coach gets a job and then he just says, oh, I've, I've heard of this guy, let's, let's bring him in. Or this guy has a pretty strong track record. If it's when it comes to the schematics and the concepts and what type of team you want to be, what identity you want to have on offense and defense, are you going to blitz a lot? Are you not? Are you playing mostly zone? Are you playing man? Are you going to be a big play action team? Are you going to be in shotgun and spread? So to have a similar philosophy or almost the same philosophy of wh- how you invest vision your unit, whether you be an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator, and then as it trickles down to the position coaches, the quarterbacks coaches, that is huge because once the season gets going, you can spend all offseason pre-training camp and say, look, this is what we want to do. But of course, as we all know, once the season gets going, you have the game ends Sunday, and sometimes you're not playing on Sunday like the Bills haven't over the last couple of years a lot. Uh, you have Monday, Tuesday to install a game plan, and then you're back to practice getting ready for that next game. So you have to be on the same page and be efficient with your time and to not spend a lot of time, you know, having infighting within the building on what we want to do on offense or defense. And uh, as we said, I, uh, we were talking about Ron Curry being talked about as the quarterback's passing game coordinator. He, uh, the new OC in New Orleans is Clint Kubiak. He's bringing in his own guys, and there's no room for you know Doug Marone and Ron Curry and the rest of those guys that were Pete yeah. Carmichael and the guys that were there. So, um, yeah, Clint Kubiak has taken over in New Orleans. That's why the, there was a shakeup there in, in that staff. Uh, so we get over that, uh, and the L.A. Chargers are starting to get started. Uh, the Super Bowl is is rounding into form as well. And he, we talked a lot about this. One of the things that's going under the radar, and, and particularly for, for Bills fans who are watching these teams, and one of the things, you know, is you know, how do you, you know, can you copy these teams and do it? And it's not easy. Obviously, because there's only so many Pat Mahomes to go around and Josh Allen and Joe Burrows and stuff like that. Uh, but one of the things about this Chief team that got them back to the Super Bowl, and it started last year, was it's been their defense this year. Now, you, you certainly, Travis Kelsey and Pat Mahomes are still continue to be you know Hall of Fame caliber players. But the scariest thing about this Chiefs team is that they may be loaded for the long haul because of that defense, it's the youngest def- defense in the National Football League. Mm. And they got their team to the Super Bowl. And they were the engine that drove that team through the regular season again with the Super Bowl. Certainly, Mahomes and Kelsey turned it on in the playoffs and have been a handful for everybody. But during the regular season, when they were muddling around and, and flopping around offensively in comparison to what they had done in the past, sure. this defense showed up big. There's only one guy starting – from the Super Bowl that they played in four years ago against this same team. It's Chris Jones. Wow. And, of course, Chris Jones is his own great player. But every starter is replaced, and most are in the early, still in the early stages of their career. They're, the entire roster on defense, they're just shy of 26 years old, Oof. all these guys. So they've all been replaced. All the starters from that last Super Bowl have been replaced against the last Super Bowl against the 49ers four years ago, not last year's. But uh, they've been they sprinkled in some – uh, free agents, but that defense has gotten the Chiefs back into the Super Bowl, and um, they started three rookies in the Super Bowl last year, and they won it. Uh, and now they got like Drew Tranquil, Chamari Connor has filled in well, Leo Chanel, uh, Mike Edwards, George Karloftis, with you know a bunch of sacks during the regular season. All these young players have come in. It's an incredibly young defense that got this team to the Super Bowl, and. Good grief. Yeah, I mean – It doesn't look like they're going away. No, I and hats off to their GM, Brett Veach, uh, who 
of course, you know, drafted Patrick Mahomes famously and has done a great job there in Kansas City. But early on in the Patrick Mahomes era, not that the Chiefs' defenses were ever horrible, but they were winning shootouts. They were scoring a ton of points with Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey in their primes. Patrick Mahomes, there wasn't a whole lot of film on him, so they were scoring 30, 35 points a game. And their defenses were not great. I mean, even in that 13-second game, Josh Allen did whatever he wanted in that game. And, and a lot of other quarterbacks were doing that to the Chiefs. So what have they done? 18 of the Chiefs' last 29 draft picks have been on the defensive side. Now, have they hit on all 18 of those picks? We talked about this yesterday. No, they haven't hit on all of them. But I'm a big advocate with the draft. Unless you're like the worst drafting general manager or scouting department in the NFL – if you have a problem, you can change that problem positionally by just throwing some assets at it early in the draft. I always think back to corner in 2022 when that was a clear-cut need for the Bills. Like They needed a cornerback, and it was coming off 13 seconds. Hey, they didn't have enough speed. They need to draft a corner. That's the weak link on that side of the ball. They draft Kyrie Elam. They draft uh, Christian Benford and, so, and then trade for Rasul Douglas. And suddenly, the cornerback room is actually pretty deep now. So I think what the, the Chiefs have done, they went in and said, okay, we've gotten to a Super Bowl, we won a Super Bowl, but if we want to continue to win them, we need to go younger on the defensive side. And they've been able to, yeah. to really change that over pretty quickly. And also it comes when, you're, when your quarterback starts hitting the big time and gets that second contract. You need um, to have those young pieces. Yeah, and you get a guy like cheap. Chris Jones who's got going you know, to have a new contract. He mm-hmm. got, and they had to let Tyreek Hill go yeah. because of the money. So to get the young – and this is what we've been talking about in Brownie saying, you know, you got cheap labor. Uh, there's no question about it. It's, uh, it's an ongoing process. The Chiefs have navigated expertly, and uh, you got to tip your hat to the production they've gotten from those young guys. Uh, that's Around the NFL brought to you uh, by – Kaleida Health, the official healthcare system of the Buffalo Bills. Lots going on. And also, did you see this too? And I, I didn't know this is just as one last thing. Some guy was flying a, a drone around the Baltimore, Kansas City okay. uh, championship game. Okay. He was flying around. You can't do that, folks. For those of you who are out there who love dr- fly drones, you, you can't do, just go out and fly it wherever you want. Um, <laughs> Especially over an NFL game. Yeah, he's facing four years in, in prison. Yikes! Uh, over doing that because it's it's you know fifty thousand with thousands of people in the stadium. They don't want some jamoke losing control of this thing, having it fly into the stadium, um, or something even more nefarious. Right? So you're not allowed to do it. So this guy is uh, facing. Big trouble. Was this guy an NFL fan? Was he trying to get like extra well, footage is, of the game? He has. He uses the the way. And I'm not. I'm not. I'm no drone operator. But he usually there are restrictions and like if you use the guys, the they won't let you fly. Sure. During certain time because there's yeah. restrictions and mm-hmm. they, they know that to put it out over the internet and whoever uses the internet to fly their drone, it's yep. it won't let them fly it. So they'll be told okay. that it's illegal. Well, his drone worked, and he he flew it. <laughs> wow. And there you go. Um, One last point that mm-hmm. I just want to bring up after that crazy story is kind of tying it back to the Bills that there's this need, and, and we'll talk about it a lot. Steve and Chris will talk about it a lot during the pre-draft process too, that there's this need for wide receiver. And, can, and, and even if they do draft a receiver, what's going to happen in the future with Stephon Diggs getting up there in age? I wanted to say that all about – 
what the Chiefs did addressing the defense and saying we are going to throw 18 of 29 picks on the defensive side of the ball with Khalil Shakir, which we're going to talk about him later in the show today. But with him entering year three, you plug in a first-round wide receiver, maybe even you double-dip and they pick one in the fourth round or the fifth round. Justin Shorter coming off the redshirt year. You could be looking at at the end of 2024 into 2025, which, again, Josh Allen still won't be 30 years old, that the Bills suddenly, like they did with the linebacker spot, like they did with cornerback, suddenly the receiver group is actually really, really good. So I think as long as you're allocating early resources, maybe a free agent here or there, uh, and again, Brandon Bean's track record is pretty strong in the draft and the scouting department that he has, and they haven't lost anyone in the scouting department, which Mm -hmm. I think is big this offseason after losing some guys the last few years, suddenly the wide receiver group can go from a glaring weakness to a strength, and it doesn't take four or five years for that to happen. Yeah, one last thing as we as we close out this portion of the show. Uh, talked a lot about stuff going on, coaching hires. Um, former Bills head coach and former Jet head coach Rex Ryan is being reportedly interviewed for the Cowboys defensive Whoa. coordinator shot. Spot. <laughs> that Man, is... I, I, yeah. <laughs> if you're Mike McCarthy... How what from Rex's the end of his tenure would make you think let's bring him in as a defensive coordinator and all the circus that would come with just hiring a D coordinator? Rex is really good on an interpersonal level. Okay. When you get him in the room, he's pretty he's a great dude. Okay. Um and he knows what he's talking about. Don't oh, don't sure, kid yourself. Sure, sure. The guy knows what he's doing. He, I mean, he was a successful head coach with the Jets. Got him to the championship game twice with Mark Sanchez at quarterback. Yeah, that's true. Baltimore um, before that. Was really his good. A rookie, Mark Sanchez. Yep. So uh, Rex does have some chops in the coaching industry. But when he's here in Buffalo, they just weren't buttoned up. And I don't know whether he was kind of mailing it in or what, but it kind of had that kind of mm-hmm. feel for it. Uh, to Terry Pagula's credit, once that became – Apparent, that was it. And there then, was no messing around. He was, and they had three years left on that deal, and mm. everybody got kicked to the curb. And it, it was the right thing to do, obviously, given where they're at now. Yeah. Uh, but they did run. It did teach this in, this building about the hiring process, mm-hmm. and they did it way way better, and, and have done it very differently since then. To your point, it seems like after that, they hired a head coach in Sean McDermott that is the opposite of Rex Ryan in terms of everything's buttoned up. Oh, yeah. you don't, there's not leaks here and there when they're you know courting a free agent and the coaches are doing what they need to do. There's not a lot of off-the-field stuff going on. So I think that learning from the Rex Ryan experience, that yes, great coach, super knowledgeable, tons of experience, college and the pro game, but you need to also do the other things well as you're managing an entire team as the head coach. They got the yeah. opposite type of guy with Sean McDermott. Right, so we'll see. Uh, that and We talked a little bit about you know what Jerry Jones had and the situation that was there in Dallas where Jones was <clears throat> publicly saying, like, listen, this, is, this defensive coordinator's job is a springboard. We've got all kinds of talent on that side of the ball. If you do well with this defense, you're going to be like Dan Quinn. You're going to mm-hmm. – bounce to a head coaching yep. job. Maybe Re- that's on Rex's radar because he won't get back there without something like this. Nobody's sure. going to hire him out of the bar- broadcasting industry to go and be a head coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get back into it and reestablish his coaching credentials would be huge for him if he does indeed want to come back and be a head coach, which you know he does. And maybe that's perfect for him because as a defensive coordinator, you're not handling all of those you know, everyday things of, of – 
logistics of team travel and our coaches going on extra trips when they shouldn't be. So maybe just as a defensive coordinator, that's really where Rex Ryan is best. But I just think the circus of his name, his personality, and then in Dallas with Mike McCarthy in a lame duck season in the final year of his contract – that would just be a lot of fun. I think talk radio and the <laughs> daily shows like this one would certainly eat that up. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk about Chris Trapasso, my buddy here, his mock draft and who he's got the bills taking. We also have a Twitter question for all of you out there. If you feel like you want to answer this and give us a call, we'll get to you on the phones maybe in the next segment. Which bills player entering year three or less intrigues you the most about heading into this next season. Now, there's a big, there's like 12 guys that fall into this, but it's like Dalton Kincaid, Osiris Torrance, Dorian Williams, uh, Christian Benford, James Cook, Kyir Elam, Kingsley Jonathan, Khalil Shakir, Balin Spector, the whole raft of guys that you could go to. Which Bills player entering year three or less intrigues you the most heading into next season? We'll be right back with mock draft stuff and your questions and calls right after this. This is Buffalo Bills Radio presented by Kaleida Health. We're on One Bills Live. Welcome back to One Bills Live. We... uh, just before we went to the break, we asked which Bills players entering year three or less intrigues you the most headed into the offseason. Um, and during the first segment of the show, we went around the you know the league and talked about all the, the coaches' hirings and things like that. And uh, we talked about Ron Curry being hired. And we have a caller on the line, Butch, from the east side. Butch wants to let us know what he thinks about Ron Curry being hired as the quarterback's coach and off um, – passing game coordinator butch what do you got to say about it first of all first of all i wanted to say uh good job you two i love both of you love msg i love Billy jerry and all the fans out there listening thank you so much for taking my call uh i'm really uh yesterday i spoke to you you and ct i i i said about getting teachers and uh and and I used CT uh when i said no disrespect to him yesterday and i said that he was younger than you and i steve and that they need people that they can relate to because these kids are coming out early, ready to play. And uh, I want to congratulate the Buffalo Bills organization for actually stepping out, adding another teacher uh, slash coach to that staff. I, I really believe Ron Curry is going to be uh, a good fit for this organization, not just on the field, but off the field, his character and everything else. Uh, but I really just want to add this about re- reason why I brought that, reason why I said that. Uh, when you, because you guys were speaking about Rex Ryan and CT, I understand Rex had a little flag history in the past, but we all fall short sometime. We all learn as we grow. And I really believe Rex has grown from his mistakes. This is why I brought up about Ron Carey. He, he sat this past season under a guy who made a mistake that I hope one day get another opportunity to be a head coach. His name is John Gruden. And John Gruden was a offensive assistant counselor at New Orleans Saints staff. And by him being a quarterback coach uh, with, the, with the team, I know he sat, under, sat in a lot of meetings with John, along with Derek Carr and the rest of those guys, and learned a lot of X's and O's and little knick-knack things. And I really believe he's going to bring that with Joe Brady, along with his offensive staff, of some of the things that John Gruden has told him or little keys he's picked up. And this is why I said this is an excellent hire 
And uh, I applaud the Bills organization. I thank you so much for taking my call. I love both of you. And have a great show. And thank you again. Thanks, Butch. Thanks, Butch. Uh, yeah, I, I think when you look at the resume of some of the coaches that Ronald Curry has been on staff with and has interacted with, most likely, like you're mentioning, John Gruden, Sean Payton, uh, was a quarterback's coach, was part of the staff under Drew, Drew Brees, of course, future Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer, I think. Uh, it's it's pretty impressive for a guy who's still in his early uh, 40s. This is not someone yeah. that's, that's, you know, into his 60s that's, that would obviously have that long of a resume. So what I also like about Ronald Curry, played quarterback in college and played wide receiver in the NFL, so he can bring – multiple perspectives when it comes to whether it be teaching a first-round wide receiver or helping the terminology go from Joe Brady into Josh Allen's ear during the week of practice. He has kind of a unique perspective that it's on two different positions on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and it'll be interesting too because he brings a wealth of experience rubbing up against different coaches with different philosophies. Now, we've said a lot about how Joe Brady got uh, exposed as Sean Payton's way of doing things, spread it out, throw it, and be aggressive in all situations. Sean Payton is notorious for that, and he's very good at it and has had a lot of success doing it, won a world championship, and and probably should have gotten to a second opportunity if it had not been for the Nicole Roby Coleman pass interference that was like not called, uh, which led to rule cha- which led to a, a, a whole ripple effect. So uh, he has really had a lot of – Sean Payton has had a lot of success with the way of, he has coached, and Ron Curry's been under that – you know, umbrella for the last seven years and uh, has probably benefited a lot from it. Uh, different coaches, Pete Carmichael was there the whole time, uh, and Joe Brady was there for a minute. So, obviously, it's still good to see. And I don't know Ron Curry, but in the lead-up to the show, I was, you know, trying to find out about him, and it's, it sounds like he's an outstanding dude, right? Just a great guy, smart, professional, high character, a leadership guy, a guy, a mentor, one of those guys, and it's still nice. It's nice for me to see guys like that still rise faster than others. No, true. You know, uh, so and you can say what you want. Seven years in New Orleans, uh, you can say, well, he, that's that's how it goes in the NFL, man. Uh, he, when you get a chance, when you come available, like I said, he's out of work for like five minutes. Yeah, and to be with one team for seven years, I mean, we're talking about how how these coaches move around so much in today's NFL. It's a sign of his loyalty and that how good that he survived multiple head coaches. And when Dennis Allen took the job after Sean Payton left, he still retained Ronald Curry. So I, I do think he brings, again, that unique perspective, wide receiver background, quarterback background. And there could be a lot worse uh, coaching trees for the Bills to pick from. The the Drew Brees, Sean Payton coaching tree to have two members of that staff and that dynamic that was so successful, like you were mentioning, Steve, in New Orleans. It's, it's a pretty good idea to kind of try to take from what Sean Payton and Drew Brees did together with the Saints. So we're asking you, which Bills player entering year three or less intrigues you the most headed into this next season? Uh, there's a ton of guys, and it starts with Kincaid and Torrance, Osiris Torrance, Dorian Williams, um, Alec Anderson and Ryan Vandermark. The two offensive linemen are in there along with Osiris Torrance. Uh, you've got Christian Benford, James Cook, Kyrie Elam, Kingsley Jonathan, Khalil Shakir, Balin Spector. you got a whole – there's 12 guys that we've got right on the roster today 
that you can choose from, but which guy intrigues you the most headed into year three or less. Um, also, as we're, you know, we're keeping our eyes on the Super Bowl this week, but we're also getting one foot into this mock draft season that we've got. And, and our guy here, Chris Trapasso, put together a mock draft. And the guy, and it's amazing. So nobody cares about the mock draft except what guy do you have us taking? True. And I know it's 20, we're 28th. We have no chance of ever getting this right unless we do a million of them and, and have the, you know, a different guy every one of them. But you've got the Bills falling on Troy Franklin out of Oregon. We had a, whoever uh, was uh, Doug Farrar on yeah. yesterday. He had us. He had the Bills taking fit. this Troy Franklin. Good fit. Uh, well, let's, let's go through it again. Why Troy Franklin? How does it fall that he's going to be there? He's about on some – and all these websites, that, and we've got you know all of them, who is – you know how high does he rank as a wide receiver? Franklin on some, most of these is like right around number – Four, five, six, seven, guy. Um, you know, so give us your idea of why he'll be there at twenty-eight and and why he's going to be a valuable player. Yeah, so I, I think he could still be available. And Steve, you were talking to me about it off air that he's listed at six foot three, one eighty-seven. And if you're like five foot eleven, one hundred and eighty-seven pounds, that's a pretty light wide receiver. So he is tall. And lanky, so I, I think when teams are looking to check off the the measurables and that physical box, Troy Franklin may not hit for some of those teams, and there's just a really good wide receiver class. So with this mock draft to put Troy Franklin to the Bills, like we were doing yesterday with the free agents, you got to be realistic. You can't say Malik Neighbors, you can't probably say Roman Dunze from Washington; they'll be long gone. But I think Troy Franklin, for two reasons would really fit the bill in Buffalo because number one, right off like right off the bus, he is going to be able to win down the football field. That's what he did at Oregon, averaged over 17 yards per catch this past season. You watch a highlight reel, you just watch any Oregon game, that's what like how they utilized him on post routes, on go routes. But I do think the second part of that is in the coming years, in year two, in year three, I think he is flexible and fluid enough as an athlete to become a very good separator and get open and be that well-rounded number one wide receiver. Of course, the Bills, when they pick him or whoever they pick in the first round or second round, if it's a wide receiver, and I think it will be, they want that instant impact. They feel like, hey, look, Josh Allen is going to be 28. Stephon Diggs is now going to be 31. Let's try to win a Super Bowl right now. But I do think in the back of the Bills' mind is, can you also become a number one wide receiver after Stephon Diggs? And I think Troy Franklin checks both of those boxes. That's why he's such a just a, a, a name that you're going to hear a lot about with the Bills over the next two months. This is the point of the, uh, when you always – talk about these guys, how good they could be, how good they are, how good they've been. The thing about Troy Franklin, when you start talking about it's just in a cursory little bit of research, you look at his career, this is the guy who's on the ascent. He's gotten better every year. His yes, stats significantly better every year. His stats have gone up. Um, you talk about, you know, you go on these, on the, you know, like you go on YouTube and, and look under the kid's name. He's like, this is the fastest kid in the draft. This is the best receiver in Oregon Ducks history. This is, you know, so it's all of that stuff. But also, it the thing that I like, and we talked about it. He's he is light. He's less than one hundred and ninety pounds. And he's six three, so he's real wispy. Um, the thing about it, it, 
you want a guy, and he does all that. He's got intermediate route running ability, mm-hmm. and he's a he's absolutely a deep threat. And that's one of the best things he does is get behind people. He can do that. But the thing that you worry about as a guy, particularly when they get up to be 205 or 215 pounds and they're still 6'2", um, when they have that kind of thicker frame, they're not as fast, right, because they get heavier and sure. it's harder to move all that weight. When they're lighter, they're a little faster. And also it's, it's better route running when you're a little bit lighter because you can explode in and out of breaks. You it's can slow easier, down quicker. It's easier to stop a lightweight than it is to stop a heavy dude. So when these guys are running and you're heavy, it takes you that extra half a step or a little bit extra effort to slow your weight down and come out of the break. When these guys are light and they, you know, they're strong, they can stop hard and explode fast out of breaks. That's what, you know, route runners are able to do that because of their body mix and body composition. A light guy is like that. And Troy Franklin, fast dude, and he can come in and out of breaks, runs really good routes. Now, he may get out physical for a minute mm-hmm. in, at Buff, Early in, on. in the NFL I can um, see that. at times, but not, they're not going to be able to do that all the time in the NFL. We'll see if he can overcome it at some point. Sure, and, and what I think is important to keep in mind about the height-weight thing with wide receivers, it's to me kind of similar to what hap- has happened over the last decade at linebacker, that when Matt Milano came out, in 2017, yeah. six foot, 228, it's like, oh, he's way undersized. Is he undersized today? Yeah, actually, he's about right. He's about right. So wide receivers, uh, in last year's first round, you had Jordan Addison was under 185 pounds. Jackson Smith and Jigba was, a, was under 190 pounds. Tank Dell in the third mm-hmm. round was little, like 165. So what Steve just demonstrated or or you know, kind of talked about with being able to get in and out of breaks in a hurry, slow down, stop start ability to get open. That actually matters more than being 215 or 220. So right. I kind of like Troy Franklin's game and how it, it his size and, and uh, or his height and weight profile, how it translates to today's NFL. Yeah, and, and you're right. There is a, a lot in there um, about physicality and about durability, um, you know, lighter guys. You know, you have, you get hit, you're still getting hit by big dudes, <laughs> and when you're light, you don't handle it as well, right? There's a bigger repercussion because you know, their momentum overpowers your weight. Um, there's something in that as well. Lighter teams on the whole, or like the Buffalo Bills, when you get light and fast, you get injured. Mm. When you're heavy and bulky and slow, you stay healthy, but you can't keep up you know what I mean so it's that balance of having the right mix of teams of guys on your team and your roster and and how your season progresses we're going to talk more about this after the break we're going to come back Steve Tasker Chris Trapasso here on One Bills Live presented by Kaleida Health this is Buffalo Bills Radio Welcome back to One Bills Live. We're frantically running around looking at all the mock drafts that are out there. Start it up. Yeah, right? Um, Chris uh, did his, and you know we, we got Troy Franklin coming down to the Buffalo Bills at number 28. It's hard, too, because you never know who's going to trade up, trade down. There's a lot of speculation that the Bears may not stay at the number one spot mm. in the draft because there are some really quality quarterbacks in this draft, and Chicago may stick with Justin Fields. Because he's got promise, and Chicago is a train wreck for quarterbacks. So what are they going to do? Get another one and wreck him too? Uh, 
But yeah, and if they don't, if they don't, if they're going to stay with Lance Fields, they're idiots not to flip out of that pick and get some assets for it because they're they're going to be able to get a quality player, quality receiver, whatever position they want, and get another first rounder somewhere down the line, and a second or some you know a lot of capital, draft capital for moving out of that pick. Um, we'll see, uh, but. When you're trying to do mock drafts, you can't really do that. You don't, you don't know who's going to mock, dra- uh, trade in, trade out. So you kind of go with the 28 picks that are that are there. Sure, 28 is way down the list. You got 27 chances to get it wrong. Yeah. Right? So what's what's funny about mock drafts? I do a lot of them. I, I've done one a week since the start of the football season. They just do well traffic wise. We always do them at CBS. A lot of us uh, are asked to do them at a pretty regular basis. What I do, th- and a lot of times, based on what Steve just said, like, hey, there's, there's no way that you're going to you know, get these picks right. But teams do these mock drafts. And you will hear Brandon Bean, if he speaks to the media before the draft, and certainly after the draft he'll say this, they have their scouts and assistants doing mock drafts just to see different scenarios and say, all right, what happens, like Steve's saying, if the Bears stay put and they don't trade Justin Fields and they – trade out of one and then what domino effect does that have on the quarterback position right suddenly teams weren't expecting to be able to pick a quarterback now they can that means they pass on receivers it has a domino effect on of course the entire draft but just looking at it in the first round maybe that pushes down wide receivers because more quarterbacks go so teams do these as a way to help them like steve was saying yesterday have every scenario mapped out and say oh like okay if brian thomas is here if uh, Javon Baker is there. If Troy Franklin is there, this is what we're going to do. If he's not, maybe we need to trade up to get him, and we're going to have that call already made to teams in the early 20s or the late 20s. So it's actually, for as much as it's kind of silly, you can look at him and say, it's early February. The draft's not until late April. Why are we looking at a mock draft? It is important to remember that NFL teams, all 32 of them, are probably starting to do these same exercises and maybe even more than I'm doing. Well, what they do to yeah, know that's once right. the draft hits, what they do is they give some of the guys the the quality control guys or whoever or some scouts or they'll say, listen, this, these are your two teams. I want you to find out, know them in, or these are three teams or whatever many guys their they got. needs and where they're going to go. Yeah. Where are they going? What are they saying? What are their mm-hmm. fans saying? What are their you know? What do you hear that they're looking for in the draft? And if you have any connections. Use them to find out sure. what they're going to do, uh, and then they the the team puts together a mock its own mock draft, and then put together another mock draft and another mock draft, and and this is all pre combine too. So what will happen is you get to the combine, and all of a sudden they go, oh my gosh, there's like four first round edge rushers, or and we thought there's only going to be one guy. Now there's going to be four that are top 10 worthy, right? So now all of a sudden now all the receivers and DBs get dropped down that many slots. So you gotta, you're got you going to have a chance at a guy that you didn't think was going to be there to actually maybe he is going to be there. And in practice, doing this with the mock drafts, we saw it last year when the Bills traded up to get in front of the Dallas Cowboys to pick Dalton Kincaid. And really after the draft, Jerry Jones is pretty open about things. He kind of hinted at that they had their sights set on a tight end. He didn't say Dalton Kincaid, but the Bills had some intel, or maybe they just were making an educated guess that if we just stay put here, we're not going to get Dalton Kincaid. So they had to jump the Cowboys to get someone who I think is going to be a foundational part of this offense for a long time. That's, again, that 
mock draft research leading all the way up until late April, we saw it come to being a very important part of what the Bills ultimately did in the first round. And so you go through and you and you find these guys. We we looked up our uh, a guy I think we've had on the show, Lance Zerline, on the show. He NFL. had a marker of NFL.com. He's got the Bills taking Brian Thompson Jr., wide receiver out of and Brownie LSU. loves it, right? Brownie's that's the Brownie's guy. Six three two. He's a thick guy, you know, like we've just, we've just been talking about. Um, and that's you know, so you. That's a guy you got to go in and look at. Uh, the, I like him out of LSU. LSU is churning those guys out too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. so they're coming in knowing the le- the bar is the bar at LSU. You got to reach that to be on the field, and these guys all do. And a quick scouting report on him: he's different from Troy Franklin in that he's not going to run four three or whatever Troy Franklin runs. I, I'm almost as sure of it that Franklin's going to have a better forty time. But Brian Thomas gives you more of a well-rounded skill set today. Is his upside quite as high? Maybe not because he's not quite as fast, but the contested catches are there. Yards after the catch because he is a little bit thicker. Defenders seem to kind of bounce off him more frequently than they do for Troy Franklin on film. So you get more of a vertical threat that you believe because of the flexibility and the height and the weight. Uh, that Troy Franklin could probably become a number one wide receiver, and maybe his his sky his upside is sky high. With Brian Thomas, you get underneath yards after the catch, contested catches, and not quite as fast. But both perimeter wide receivers, which again is why you're going to see a lot of Troy Franklin and a lot of Brian Thomas to the Bills in the mock drafts over the next two months. And I don't want to say I know everything because I don't. You don't, but I mean, we're sitting here. All we're talking about is wideouts. And you get into the mock draft, and you get these guys, well, like our friend Bucky Brooks, our guy Daniel Jeremiah, they got the Bills taking other positions mm-hmm. as it could mock happen. drafts. It could happen. It could, but there's going to have to be some significant things that happen before the draft in free agency, in free agency that will make you think that that's not going to be the case. Or you're going to have to have some revelation about a guy like a Justin Shorter who's already on the roster and the team says, we are so excited because we've been hiding him out. We're going to mm-hmm. unfurl him. He's yep. ready, that kind of thing. Maybe. But, you know, they've got – Bucky Brooks has got them taking Cooper – and I don't know, I think I'm saying this right, Cooper DeGene? DeJohn. DeGene. DeGene. Defensive Iowa. back out of Iowa. Iowa. Elite athlete, played a bunch of positions and in the secondary. Ball real hawk. High, high football IQ. Okay, fine. Then you've got uh, – that's who Bucky, Bucky Brooks has got us taken, who former Buffalo Bill, former teammate of mine. And then you've got uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who's got the Bills taking a defensive tackle out of them. Now, this makes some sense. I get it because we don't have any defensive lines. Who's he got taking? He's got him taking Jerzon Newton. Jerzon. J-E-R apostrophe capital Z-H-A-N. That's a weird one. And, of course, no disrespect to Daniel Jeremiah, who is the up there with – with Mel Kuyper uh, in terms of just being plugged in and being a great draft analyst. Newton is very similar to Ed Oliver. He's under 300. 6'2", 295. He's under 300 pounds. He's an up-the-field pass rusher. It feels like the Bills like to go bigger next to Ed Oliver, who had that breakout season. But crazier things have happened in the draft, and I do think the Bills will address defensive tackle. But if it was that type, an Ed Oliver-type player, who's not going to suddenly just play in front of Ed Oliver to do that in the first round would be a little bit head-scratching for the Bills. All right, more stuff to come. Steve Tasker and uh, Chris Trapasso here on Buffalo Bills Radio. Uh, We're going to take a break, come back, talk more mock draft stuff and uh, whatever else you want to talk about. Uh, What is the player on the Bills roster coming into or 
into their third year or less on the roster. Who's the most intriguing guy on the roster that you're looking forward to having a 2024 season to remember? Give us a call if you like. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso on Buffalo Bills Radio. This is One Bills Live. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Welcome back to One Bills Live. We're in hour number two, and we're uh, talking about mock draft and the Bills roster. And, um, of course, we put the question to you as well as to uh, which Bills player entering year three or less intrigues you the most headed into the 2024 season. We've got a couple of calls on the line that we'll go to first. Elliot in Elliot in Rochester. Go ahead, Elliot. What's on your mind? Hey, Steve and Chris. So, uh, real quick, I just want to go through the Bills' first-round pick specifically. I can already see things setting up for maybe the fans to disagree with what Bean decides to do. Um, notoriously, Bean has said uh, need is a bad replacement for want, right? So, I just look at a lot of receivers like Stephon Diggs, who was a gem found in the fifth round out of Maryland, and... Shakir late round pick two. So I just wonder um, what Chris's thoughts are. What kind of defensive prospects, specifically defensive interior and edge, and maybe even at the corner position, if still on the board, do you think Brandon Bean would be willing to target over one of those top receiver prospects and kind of punt the position to the second or third round and get one of those guys like Burton or Thrash, or Javon Baker. Um, so I just wanted your opinion on on those defensive edge and interior guys that Bean might go with over a receiver if they do fall. Yeah, I don't hate that idea. My thing has been early on in this offseason, the Bills need to pick a receiver in either the first or the second round, and I wouldn't hate them doubling up on it. It doesn't have to be in the first round. We talked about, uh, look at the track record of round two wide receivers, especially of late, is actually very good around the league. Um, The two guys that really stand out to me, Cameron Kinchins, who's a safety from Miami, uh, perfect safety size, like six foot, 205, played that kind of hybrid linebacker role for the Hurricanes, made plays in coverage, covered the slot. I really think Sean McDermott is going to be a big fan of his. Um, And then Tyler Newbin from Minnesota, more of a Micah Hyde free safety, not going to be hard-hitting downhill as frequently as Kinchins. But if the Bills, if if, uh, Micah Hyde does retire or decides to move on, then they will have a a pretty sizable hole at the safety spot. Again, in free agency, they can kind of add some pieces there as well in the veteran ranks. But those two, I think, if either of them get to 28, because it is such a deep wide receiver class, and it just happens to be a wide receiver group that has a lot of speedsters, like you mentioned, Elliot. Um, I could see the Bills going in that direction. And one name that I think could kind of kill two birds with one stone, Darius Robinson from Missouri. And what I mean two birds with one stone, 
He's like 6'5", 285, 290, had a tremendous week at the Senior Bowl. Everyone that I talked to down there said he was the best defensive player in Mobile, and he can play inside, outside. The Bills have liked those bigger, thicker defensive ends who can rush inside on third downs. I think he's going to test pretty well. Didn't have crazy production at Missouri. So I think Darius Robinson could either just be there at 28 or the Bills could, you know, get within striking distance and trade up for him if they don't love the receivers. Or if like you're saying, they like the depth at the receiver spot and plan to pick one on, you know, day two or maybe even early day three and add to the position later. So those three, two safeties and a defensive end, I could see being potential targets for the Bills that would fit what they like, what the prototypes at each position um, at safety and along the defensive line. And you look back, you look down on the on the list of defensive tackles only, like the interior guys. And when you're talking about interior guys, you know they I know they drafted Ed Oliver, and, and but he's they, a pass rusher. Yes, and he got a, and he got a second contract, so he, he was giving them everything they wanted him to give them. But I think you're looking at, at replacing guys like Daquan Jones and and Jordan Phillips, and Linval Joseph. I wouldn't and use a first-round pick on that, If you on that type of player. If you're – well, here's the thing. You, you may have to or you're not going to get one because you're talking about guys that are three bills, 320-plus, a big body dude. They like a big guy there, yeah. And if you're going to go high in the draft, that's what you get. That, there's a lot of things you're willing to – there's a lot of things you're willing to risk in a number one pick. The physical attributes usually is not one of them. All the first-rounders are usually freaky athletes. They're freaky ash- athletes, and they're freakishly big. And if you're looking at that, you're looking all the way down to a guy named, like, DeMonte Capehart from Clemson. He's a 365, 320 guy. Other than that, all the rest of these guys are, to, in my mind, light. I mean, you've got you got to go down the list a long way to get down to guys to the three three hundred plus. I don't think it's a you you got to have some girth. And I'm a guy who played with Ted Washington, who was the girthiest <laughs> of the girthiest, right? I mean, the guy was he was he, he'd block out the sun, and he played for. I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. He was a, he's a Hall of Fame caliber player, and he played for 19 years. And was way over 320, right? So, but that's the reason he could play. He was so big. Um, he never played on a defense that was outside the top five in rushing defense. Unreal. Because ripple effect for the linebackers, right, keeping them right. clean. Nobody could get to anybody else. Yeah. They had to they had to double yeah. him, team him or throw a third guy at him, and they had to run away from him wherever he was. So guys like that, you gotta you gotta go up and get them because Genetics sets them apart. Forget about their football IQ, their speed, all that stuff. Their genetics set them apart. They're going to get multiple opportunities because of that. And it starts right in the draft. So if you're going to if, – if the Bills are going to replace their defensive line with draft picks, looking, at the, looking at, the, at the rankings of the defensive tackles and some of the websites you're looking at, they may be able to do it waiting. Yeah, because, I think so. Because there's no, there's no Jordan Davis – in this draft, that's what I was going to say. Uh, the the defensive lineman from Georgia, they pick, who Philly picked last year. There's not one of these those mountain of a man in this draft that are also highly productive at the highest level. Yeah. So Ed Oliver, top ten pick, and he was an up the field pass rusher. You look at Jalen Carter was a little bigger last year with the Eagles, but was an up the field pass rusher. Of course, Aaron Donald is the gold standard. 
those are the type of defensive tackles today that get picked in the top half of the first round or really go in the first round at all. I think, again, to kind of tie back to the last segment, the Bills jumped the Cowboys, picked Dalton Kincaid. They picked Mozzie Smith out of Michigan, who tested through the roof relative to his size, was a nose tackle at Michigan, and didn't really give the Cowboys a lot this season as a rookie. That that doesn't mean that I think he's a total bust and that he can't improve, but I think later in the draft, if you're looking for a Ted Washington type, not saying that any of these guys will become Ted Washington, play for 19 years, be a you know perennial All-Pro. In today's NFL, though, if you're looking for, all right, who is going to be that player, that 320-plus next to Ed Oliver, who's our designated interior pass rusher in Buffalo, uh, you can get that guy third round, fourth round, fifth round to eat blocks, keep Matt Milano and Terrell Bernard clean. I wouldn't position value-wise. I would not lean in that direction. A, a, a space-eating, block-eating nose tackle in the first round. Yeah, more and more you're getting the, the entire defense is becoming guys who are athletes who are kind of morphing towards being the same guy um, that, you know, somewhere between 230 and 270 and can put their hand on the ground or back up into coverage. Yes. And, and, that, and they're also – they have pass rush skills and coverage skills. They have a, a repertoire of pass rush moves. They, have a rep, they can tackle. They can cover. All of that stuff. They can also run stuff. They can come up and, and take on a blocker. That, all these defenders are starting to, be, to become positionless, and, it's, and you can see it at the edges of what we used to think. There's no way this guy can play this position. And now that's, those extremes are coming moving towards the middle. Uh, you get a guy like Micah Parsons, who at one point would never have he, – he might not he even have been – inside linebacker. On, yeah, he might not have been a defensive player, period, let alone <laughs> – a pass <laughs> yeah. rusher um, because of the way he's built. So now, you know, these teams are starting to morph into and their valuation process follows it. And it, mm. I think for mock draft guys, it's becoming more and more difficult. Now, I'll say this as well. It's always been a problem when you get these guys and you're trying to evaluate, okay, how's he going to be? All right, we're going to put him at the three technique and they got they're all this specific stuff. We're going to put him on the edge of a 3-4 defense. He's going to be our T.J. Watt. This guy can do it. Now, if you've got film of the guy playing that spot and crushing it, I get it. A lot of times you don't, though. Right. He's got his hand on the ground and he's playing the end on a 4-3. Totally different. And it's a different spot. And you got a guy, you know, so when you're trying to project these guys at the next level and you don't have a spot that's exactly where you've seen him play his best, Mm -hmm. huge question marks come up, I think. To what you just said, over the last, and this speaks to that directly, over the last 10 years since I've been scouting drafts, early on, the the term tweener would come up a lot. Ooh, I don't know about him. He's a tweener. I remember, this seems crazy now, when Von Miller was picked right in front of Marcel Darius in the 2011 draft, there was thought like, oh, he can't play in a 4-3. He's too small. He's a tweener. He's, he's a pass rusher, but he's only 6'2", 240. That, you never hear the word tweener anymore. And Jordan Poyer's playing safety, and then he's playing linebacker. Taron Johnson's in the slot, then he's a linebacker. Everything that the Bills do is really um, what you're seeing kind of track around the entire NFL. Like what Steve was just mentioning, that being in that 230 to 280 range and being able to do a lot of different things, I don't think it's totally positionless, but we're moving in that direction. And the NFL has gotten to that over the last decade. Yeah, and, I, and you're right. There. You don't really see tweeners anymore, except between maybe 
safety and linebacker. Sure. Uh, where a guy, because that's a, a position switch, um, a group switch. It's not just going from – it's like going from offensive line to tight end, right? So <laughs> linebacker to defensive back is a big switch. Uh, you've seen a lot of safeties who are really good at coming – like Taron Johnson, a corner, nickel corner, who's really good in the run game and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But you never line them up as a linebacker, right? So – those positions and and players' ability to be versatile is key, but you never get to see him do that at college. Mm-hmm. That's part of why that projection, even if you can look at the combine, watch the film, certainly some defenses, mostly I would say ACC, SEC, are doing some of those things, and you do get some fired NFL head coaches and coordinators are starting to take those jobs at the collegiate level, uh, doing a lot of complex things where they're playing multiple roles, having different responsibilities on a defense or on an offense, but you don't see it so much. So that is certainly part of the projection that goes beyond the numbers and beyond the film. So we're we're asking you, which Bills player entering year three or less intrigues you the most heading into next season? We're going to talk more about draft mock drafts and all the the prospects and the philosophies about picking them in a minute. We're going to go to John in Hilton. If I can get him up here, hold on. This is it's me. It's not John. There we go. John, you're on with with Steve and Chris. Go ahead. Yeah. Hi. Thanks a lot. my biggest guy that I think is going to do good this year is Justin Shorter. I'm really excited to see what he does. And the other guy I want to know is um, Darrell Bernard, or Darrell, Dorian Williams. What can uh, he do? Can they move him around to get him involved more? Because he's really fast and he should be really good. So uh, what do you guys think? I'll let you go and uh, listen to what you say. Thanks, Thanks John. Appreciate it. Thanks for calling. Um, Thanks. Steve? I, I, I'm with you. I think Dorian Williams really caught a lot of people's attention. I like Justin Shorter a lot. We've seen him practice. I thought he was having a really good training camp. One of the things we noticed about the wide receiver core this last training camp at St. John Fisher is outside of Diggs, outside of Deontay Hardy, uh, most of them – most of them were ginormous. Mm-hmm. They were Gabe Davis, Justin Shorter, Tyrell Shavers. They were all big dudes, and uh, that I thought it was a concerted effort to get there. Now it didn't turn out that way. You know, Justin Shorter ended up on IR the entire season with a hammy, but um, I thought that was a thing coming into training camp last year, and it may remain that. Yeah, and I think uh, it's kind of become a accepted philosophy for a lot of teams that you want to in your wide receiver group. You want to have it resemble a basketball team. You want this small point guard that, that's twitchy, that's good after the catch, that makes guys miss. You want someone in that six foot to 190 pound range like Stefan Diggs or, you know, one or two of those guys. And then you want that big body that is the first guy off the bus with the offense right. that can get down the field, can make a tough catch while taking a shot in the red zone, like we saw from Justin Shorter in the preseason. And in terms of the 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 physical element to his game, he certainly has it. Steve talked about yesterday learning the nuances of getting in and out of breaks, understanding is it man, is it zone. Those things from the neck up, I think that was part of the redshirt process for Justin Shorter, but he has that downfield ability. He's a long strider. And in terms of Dorian Williams, I love Dorian Williams. He was my number two linebacker in last year's draft class when the Bills picked him in the third round. I was certainly happy. Uh, You did see the flashes in terms of stopping and – or 
being at a full stop and then finding the football, I thought he was noticeably fast. That right. without Matt Milano out there, he was even faster than Terrell Bernard and then Tyrell Dotson, both of which who had breakout seasons in 2023. Now, again, I was talking about it earlier that cornerback was a weakness and then it became a strength through the draft and through a trade of, you know, to bring in Douglas. The linebacker group, it was, oh, what are they going to do after Tremaine Edmonds? Turns out Terrell Bernard's a player. Tyrell Dotson has a great year. We'll see if the Bills resign him. Milano's not going anywhere. And Matt either, Milano's yeah. not going anywhere. He's returning. He's still in his 20s. So it, it will be a little bit harder for Dorian Williams to move up the pecking order. But to the question from John, I think you do have to kind of roll out different packages and utilize his speed and athleticism because to have that at linebacker, I think that is one of the most important things in the NFL and what Sean McDermott loves at the linebacker spot. Which Bills player entering year three or less intrigues you the most heading into the next season? Let's take a call from Tim in Rochester. Tim, you're on with Chris and Steve. Go ahead. Good afternoon. Hey, I remember when Don Butler was the GM and he was on – on the radio, they asked him, he said, you can never have enough corners, safeties, or defensive backs. And you're, you're, you subscribe to that, do you? <laughs> yes. He said that on TV. We always had good defensive backs, corners, and, and, and safeties. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll say this. I mean, uh, thanks a lot for the call, Tim. Appreciate it. And you're right. It's, uh, it's – it's one of those – it's a money position for a reason. And uh, In today's NFL, with all the receivers out there and what just happened to the Bills' secondary, right? it makes sense. It's, it's a good theory. We here in Buffalo have also been exposed now to what we have seen to be the two most valuable defensive signings of the Bills when Sean McDermott showed up was Poyer and Hyde. Uh, those mm-hmm. two safeties, I think, gave Bills fans a new and re- – If there might have been some, but now – a lot more people believe and see how important those safety positions are because of what they f- hear from other teams playing the Bills. Those guys are so hard. Quarterbacks have struggled to find what the coverage is. They they disguise it so well. They make it hard on their opponents. And plus, you know, with Poyer, uh, you know, intercepting the ball a lot like he has done and hide the same thing, uh, Bills fans have seen it. So it's easy. It's an easy argument to make at this in this day and age, plus the fact that Everybody knows you need really good corners all the time in the NFL. You got to have them, and you need a bunch of them because somebody's going to get hurt, um, like they did this year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're right. I don't know that I'm going to spend a first rounder on corner, particularly with the group they have in the room now. Mm-hmm. But you can, you're right. Uh, you need you need as good ones as you can get because it is one of the the key positions in NFL defenses these days. And quickly, a perfect segue from what Steve was mentioning earlier about versatility and being able to do multiple things. We brought up Poyer, we brought up Taron Johnson. I think even though safety is far away from the ball, in today's NFL, with how much passing there is, and especially in Buffalo, that it is not one is the strong safety, one is the free safety. Sean McDermott disguises coverages as well as any defensive play caller in the league. And I think a big reason why the Bills were so good when uh, Poyer and Hyde were out there, especially in the prime of their careers, was they were interchangeable. So safeties, to me, I think are more important as ever or as important as they've ever been because they have to 
be in the box on some plays to play the run. They have to play on the outside run game. They have to cover tight ends, cover running backs. Oh, and be maybe on a third and 15, be that guy on the back end who's making sure a team's not hitting a big play over the top. So I think in general and in Buffalo, yes, safety and having those quality defensive backs and having quality depth that has been tested of late in Buffalo is vitally important. Yeah, and it's no question that, when you're playing defense, you got you got to have all those guys back there. You need to have depth. You need to have, you know, the versatility. I remember when we were playing back in the day, Walt Corey, his philosophy defensively was like, I want four corners Ooh. back there. I want my safeties to be skills. corners so that when we want to go man, we go man, and I don't, it doesn't matter. We don't have to switch out all these guys, right? Uh, that was his philosophy. And co- certainly we had Henry Jones at safety who could play corner. Kelso – could not play corner, but they did have guys that could. You know, okay. Kelsey was Kelsey was always the. I mean, Kelso was always the guy, the umbrella in the back. Mm-hmm. But he did have three guys that could, really could cover. Henry Jones went to the Pro Bowl one year because he could cover man to man, and he'd take a tight end out. Yeah, it's huge um, today. So that's it's really difficult to do today, and um, so I'm kind of on that train where you got to have there are money positions and. and Let's face it, man. We have through bills, particularly through the drought, and through even the successful years. You can, I bet you, if you sat down and thought, I can't do it right now because I'm giving really much thought. But you could point to a position group, every position group on the field, for, on both offense and defense, and name games that it was gotten you beat because you oh, weren't absolutely. good enough, right? That's true. Um, and so we're sitting here. In early February, looking for the the combine right before the Super Bowl, and we're watching for the off season. And you're thinking, okay, where do we, and and you just there, it's a never ending struggle to get better at every position. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, the Bills feel really good about their offensive line and their quarterback. Probably their number one running back, their tight ends, they feel good about. Um, then you start to run out of linebackers. Maybe when they're all healthy. Um, and then you start to think, okay, now you know we need some help here, 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 and here. Um, it's one of those off-seasons that's going to be really interesting to go. We're going to take a break. Chris Trapasso, Steve Tasker on One Bills Live. We're going to come back, talk more, take your calls about which player entering year three or less on the Bills intrigues you most headed into this next season. This is Buffalo Bills Radio presented by Collada Health. We'll be right back. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Steve Tasker, Chris Trapasso. We're talking about prospects, philosophies, what we're looking for, trends in the NFL about evaluating players, where we think defensive players are going to, where the Bills might head and draft. I'm I'm still on the wide receiver train. Same. And I'm steaming full I'm full steam ahead too. So, um, yes, I'm a steam engine guy. But I just think there's going to be too many guys that are going to be really good and the Bills are probably going to take more than one in this draft. Uh, I th- I could see him taking three, like on like in some of the later round sure. draft picks that they have. Um, once again, the you know the you know they've got picks that go all the way. They have three sixth rounders, I think. Yeah, something like that. They uh, there we go, the fuller. They've got three sixth rounders. Um, Two, you know, so thirty-five. I, I think is the last one they have. Here we go. Yeah, something like that. They've got yeah, they've got uh, twenty-eight, sixty, ninety-nine. Then they've got like 128 the fourth round. Then they've got two fifths, 158 and 161. 
they've got three sixths, 197, 201, and 205. So they got three picks kind of right in a row. Yeah. And then they got a 245 as well. Um, that's all 10 picks. I So I'm – from 158 through 245, somewhere in there is going to be wide out as well, If, um, depending on what happens on the first four picks. And two teams that pop into my head immediately over the last two drafts that did double dip at wide receiver, Green Bay Packers, 2022, they picked Christian Watson in the second round and then picked Romeo Dobbs in the fifth round, and Romeo Dobbs has become a really good player for them. Christian Watson, right. too, but he's been hurt. And then this past year, 2023, the Houston Texans pick – Tank Dell in the third round, and he was great before he broke his leg. And then Xavier Hutchinson out of Iowa State, who's a little bit of a bigger body, did catch some passes down the stretch. So it's not like this crazy never-happens thing for a team that wants to replenish the wide receiver group to double-dip in the same draft. Yeah, so we're talking about wide receiver. We've got a caller on the line, Tom in Tonawanda. Tom's asking about – I think he thinks we might see something from Justin Shorter. Tom, what's on your mind? Uh, I was just wondering when they uh, when they drafted Justin Shorter, uh, big tight end or, or excuse me, big wide receiver, and uh, I just wonder if they didn't draft him with the idea of replacing Gabe Davis. I think that's exactly what it was. Yeah. I mean, there's no inside info there, but just watching Justin Shorter's film at Florida and remembering Gabe Davis's film at UCF, they were near the sidelines, going down the field, and chucking the ball up to them. And Now, what's interesting, and again, Gabe Davis was a great return on investment for the Bills being a fourth-round pick in 2020, but Justin Shorter is bigger, I think he's faster, and I think he has, and based on what they did in college, he has better hands, more sure-handed in those contested catch situations than Gabriel Davis. So I think it was insurance to say, hey, look, if, if Gabe Davis in 2023 has an awesome year and he prizes himself out, or if the Bills were like, hey, look, if he doesn't really play that well, we're not going to pay him, then I, I think it's more the latter than the former in that situation. They have someone, and Steve's referenced it, that now got that red shirt season in Justin Shorter to not have to come in and be a 70-catch guy, but just be what Gabe Davis was in 2020 as a rookie and in 2021, that down-the-field number four option. Yeah, I mean, Justin Shorter was ranked down the list as prospects coming out. Um, he was a five-star recruit. Um, he's... 6'4", 237, or 229, I'm sorry. He's 6'4", 230. He's a big dude. Uh, he's got big hands. He's got long arms. He runs a 4'5", 540, which is plenty fast enough uh, for a route size, runner too. at that size. Um, he was a sophomore in 2019, uh, and he played 10 games, had only 12 catches. Uh, his production wasn't there. And then he had 12 games and had 25 catches in as a junior. Um <laughs> And as a senior, he had 13 games and had 41 catches. So he's never really had one of those 95-catch seasons. That's not you know. his game. That's it's, not him. He is, um, he's got a lot – he had a lot to learn. He had a lot to prove. Uh, and I'm not saying, too, we've seen and we've talked about a lot this coaching staff's reticence to put young guys on the field. But we have also seen him do that, particularly Gabe Davis. The guy – I mean, I know – Everybody likes Gabe, and he's had some moments that were unforgettable for the Buffalo Bills. But I, a lot of people are like, kind of done with him, right? I mean, it's like, golly, he, he has too many games with zero for zero, right? Mm -hmm. And so, there. But he, Gabe Davis is also a an example of a wide receiver, a skill position player on the offensive side of the ball that got plugged in 
right away. As a rookie. Absolutely. As a rookie. first He caught the first ball the team had completed in his rookie season. Mm-hmm. In his rookie season, Cold Steph year. Diggs is there. He caught the first ball of the season. So the, it is in there and in this team's DNA that a guy can prove himself and get on the field at that position as a first-year player. Justin Shorter's got to do that. He's got to get there, and he's got to prove the same things that Gabe Davis did as a rookie. He's got he got a whole year to find out what that is and prove it. So we'll see if he can do that. But that's where we're at, and he is a guy. He's like Gabe Davis. He catches the ball better than Gabe, but there's so much that Gabe Davis does that we haven't seen anybody else be able to do. Yeah, that's a good point. And what's Two other things that are interesting about Justin Shorter. Just a quick note on his final season at Florida. He averaged 19.9 yards per catch. So he proved it in the SEC after being a disappointment at Penn State, transfers to Florida, and was that big play threat down the field. So you can look at the stats. You can watch the film. What I also like, and to kind of compare him to Gabe Davis like the caller was talking about, Gabe Davis did hit the ground running in the NFL. He was not a high-volume guy, but there was Stephon Diggs coming over in his first season in Buffalo. Cole Beasley, John Brown were the top three targets for Josh Allen when he broke out and ultimately got an M- or got multiple MVP votes that year. Justin Shorter could be in a similar situation where it's Stephon Diggs, it's a first-round wide receiver, maybe it's a Kendrick Bourne in free agency, maybe it's a fifth-round wide receiver, and he doesn't need to be a the first or second read in the progression and allow himself to not have to be perfect in all regards like Gabe Davis was not as a rookie but was able to make those big plays had a couple of you know great sideline catches in that wild card round win over the Colts when defenses were focusing on other receivers Justin Shorter could find himself in a similar situation in the receiving or the target pecking order in his second year in Buffalo right so we're and and there's a lot there's a lot in that um he isn't. He's still, I think, an intriguing prospect, and that's what he is. Mm-hmm. He's been in the league for a year. He was on IR, and they they activated him for a minute to see if they could get him ready to play, and they couldn't do it, so they put him back on IR. Um, he he essentially had a redshirt year, and he's still that guy that he had a chance to be coming out of Florida. So we'll see. And how about the Bills' track record at wide receiver? Like I said yesterday, they just need to pick one because the track record with Khalil Shakir in the fifth round, Gabe Davis in the fourth round, Isaiah Hodgins in the sixth round, when they've drafted them in the Brandon Bean era, they've been good. We brought up Ray Ray McLeod, who was a seventh rounder in 2018, Brandon Bean's first draft as a general manager. He's playing for the 49ers in the Super Bowl. So – that makes you think. I mean, it's not a guarantee that Justin Shorter is going to be good, but the Bills have shown that those day three wide receivers, they whether it be they just know the skills to identify, the, the analytics help them, whatever the case may be, they've, they have a track record over the last four or five drafts being able to find those diamonds in the rough at wide receiver on the third day of the draft. Well, they may – and like I said, I think they may do that again this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to find some guys um, that will – Help them. Even if they pick a wide receiver in the first round, they could continue with that spot later. Right. right. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. I, I, but I'm, I'm with you, I'm, and I'm with the caller as well. I, I'm kind of excited to see Justin Shorter get back on the field healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, hamstring, I and, mean, it's not a season-long injury. And he did practice late in the year. Right. So I'm, I think they're really 
excited to have it. I think that, I don't know if they are or not. They may just say, okay, there's a roster spot. We've got a guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think he has a chance this year after and coming back healthy because um, I you have a I have a hard time believing it was a season-long injury. Well, I think it was just late in the season uh, to ramp him up. I think it was like one of the last couple weeks they needed I, to activate think, him. And they yeah, did. I know, but if he did it in training camp mm-hmm. or in the preseason, it's a four-month season. And at most, it's a four-week injury. Mm-hmm. So He's going to be healthy. I think, they, I think they're like, just stay there, work on this, do this, stay in, and come back and let's go. You yeah. know? Um, We'll see. We'll see. I, I don't know. I, um, I, I'm, I'm with the caller, and I, I think he's got a chance to be really good. He's got all the physical tools. He's a fast guy. He's a downfield threat because of his size. He's got an incredible catch radius, catches the ball extremely well. Certainly there's going to be things he needs to work on. Um, he's a little long-legged, high cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he, he shows a lot of promise. And with a year under his belt and coming back and being, you know, securing himself about being a pro and knowing the routine and coming back and not having the distractions of that first year that always happened to a first-year player, I think he's, he's going to have a chance to really take off. Is he your pick, if I'm asking you our Twitter question today, of – which year three or less player are, are you most excited about? Is there someone else? Because for me, I'll, I'll just give my answer quickly. I want every fiber of my being wants mm-hmm. me to say either Dorian Williams <laughs> or Khalil Shakir because right. I love them as prospects. Right. But I think it's Dalton Kincaid because you find good receivers all over the NFL. I think having that Cole Beasley slot type is certainly important, and I think you will see a jump from Shakir in year three. Dorian Williams will get on – the field probably in some sub packages, but if you can have an elite receiving tight end, we're going to see it in the Super Bowl with George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. That does a world of positive to your offense. If if Dalton Kincaid can build on a, what I thought was a very one of the best and most prolific rookie tight end seasons in a while, that is huge right. for Joe Brady and Josh Allen. Certainly, I mean, I think there's certain guys in, in on this list that you're going to be able to count on: Osiris Torrance, Dalton Kincaid, James Cook. I mean, I don't, they don't need to do too much. James Cook was fourth in the lead in league in rushing and and was a rotational back for the month, the first month of the season. So <laughs> that's crazy. He's gonna be he's gonna be there. So those guys, I think, are are givens. Kincaid, Torrance, um, and I think Christian Benford. He was a starter opening day of his really rookie good. year. He's been very good when he stays healthy and and he's had trouble doing that. So and I you. I think you could make a case for Kyir Elam. I think I might surprise a lot of people with this. Brownie and I have talked at length about this guy who most people don't know exists. Uh, and we have watched him in training camp, during the regular season, at practice, all of that stuff. Is Kingsley Jonathan. He's an edge rusher. And he has watched and learned from Vaughn. And he has not played that much football up until this last year. He's been he, he's a he's rotational the, guy. Yeah. He's a rotational guy, and he's on the international portal from Nigeria. He's an athlete. He's got size. He's very quick. He's got explosion. Bend, he's learning. He can bend off the edge. He has a great spin move. I like. I, I just think now is the time when he gets. I think he needs more time, and he's gotten a lot of that this season. I think coming into this season, we may see a lot more of him. And because of that, I think more people are going to 
find out he's a really good player. Yeah, and he kind of fits the mold of, like we've talked about, the Bills like to bring in, whether they draft or they bring in through the international portal, those freaky athletes that they like to develop into quality players, like a Greg Russo, a Josh Allen, Tremaine Edmonds, Dawson Knox. Kingsley Jonathan could be the next guy. I, I think he's got a chance. I think he's most, one of the most intriguing guys out there. Uh, certainly, like I said, there are guys that I think Khalil Shakir is a guy who's, I think, established. He's, they're going to plug him into the slot, and he's going to stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Balen Specter may have a hard time getting on the field. Same thing with Alec Anderson and Ryan Vandermark. Those are two offensive linemen, Anderson and Vandermark, that you know they're just going to have a hard time plugging into those guys. they got five guys that, are, that took every snap. Yeah, true. The only time one of them came off was when uh, Deion Dawkins got his finger cut in the Pittsburgh game. Yeah, that was and, it. You know, Vandermark goes in, presto changeo, you got a new left tackle, and they went down and scored. Mm-hmm. Good on him. So um, I, it's going to be hard to break into that. So I don't know that – and with the linebackers the way they are, Specter, Dorian Williams, Milano, and um, Ben Bernard. Bernard. I mean, they're, yeah, they're those, loaded. Yeah, they're loaded. They're loaded. So we'll see. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and wrap things up. Chris Trapasso, Steve Tasker here on One Bills Live. This is Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Um, Chris Trapasso, thanks for spending the first half of the week with us. Appreciate uh-huh. it. It was fun having you. Yeah, it was yeah. great. And and me being here, I sometimes forget because you are so cordial. You're such a great host, great analyst, that you are someone who should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. <laughs> and you were a five-time All-Pro with the Buffalo Bills. And I had to mention before I get out of here, today is the 31st anniversary of Steve Tasker becoming the first ever Pro Bowl MVP. That was that was today. Thirty-one years ago today, forced a fumble on a punt return. Crazy. Well, was, Explain was, the play. There Explain was, it. Yeah, there was a couple of plays in the game that. It, yeah, this one. I was going down, and Albert Shelley was the NFC Special Teams Player of the, of the game of the NF, NFC, and I was he was double teaming me with Dion Sanders. Oh, so it was Dion and Albert, and so we're going down, and, and Dion could outrun everybody in the whole stadium, so he was out in front of me. And I had to, uh, and and Elbert was beating my head in right as we were running down the field. You get taken out on the play. I get taken out. This is the kickoff. Uh, this is one of the t- tackles I made on kickoff. But um, so I know that Elbert is out is hit me. So I got to cut underneath Elbert to get to the return guy. And I know if I do, or I had to cut under Dion. If I do, Elbert's going to beat me up. So he did, and I knocked me. And I ended up causing a fumble in those couple of plays, and I was the MVP, Presto Changeo. Awesome. Uh, Brownie's back in tomorrow at 1 o'clock. We'll see you then.